Hello, you're listening to episode two of Jen and the Film Critic, a Screen Mayhem podcast. My name's Jen Blundell, and with me again is my film critic. Hello, and good day. I'm still working on my intro, like, thing. That's fine. You've got, you've got the thoughts about films. You don't need an intro. I, I mean, I thought I nailed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I say otherwise? <laughs> no, actually. Not, not specifically. No. So, approval. Yeah, 100%. Yay. <laughs> We're doing this well. Um, speaking of doing things well, what films have you seen? Speaking of doing things well, I guess the biggest film of the last week has been The Matrix Resurrections. Mm-hmm. Done well, I assume. Oh, yes, definitely. Mm. So, yes, we have Lana Wachowski uh, returning to the Matrix franchise sans uh, Sister Lily. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the first sequel since 2003's double release of Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> I forgot they came out in the same <laughs> year. They came out in the same Old. year and they wanted them released at the same time. And the studio That's... convinced them to put a six-month gap in. Good. For once, it the studio good, right? made a good call. <laughs> For once, they interfered with this crazy plan to have two <laughs> no. sequels out at the same time that are dependent on each other to have yeah. understood. I guess yeah. they wanted people to back-to-back back watch them in the cinema. I guess so, which would have been an interesting choice because they put most of the action in Matrix Reloaded and most of the talky stuff in Matrix Reloaded. Maybe they really so. just wanted to make one six-hour film. <laughs> oh, like Quentin allowed. Tarantino, who yeah. really thought people would sit for three hours of Kill Bill, which they yeah. may have. His modern audience would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've sat two- through that. In the year 2000, it would have been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Part 1 and 2, and it would have been yes. very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Keanu Reeves returns as Neo, who finds himself living back inside the computer-generated dream world as Thomas Anderson. Okay. Yes, the dream world, which is called The Matrix. I wrote that in a confusing way. So. Yep. So, yep. It's in know, the title. You, you saw the fucking thing. If, if you're here like, oh, a Matrix film. I've never seen one of those. I'll be curious to hear about this. Then no. Go watch the be, first one. Go watch the stop. first one now. And stop <laughs> immediately. And Just go, ignore. wow, isn't this great? I can't wait for the... <laughs> nope. Yeah. No. Won't it be great <laughs> when they explore this? What? No. Have someone to no. slap you in the face. As soon watch as the Animatrix. Just watch the yes. first one, then watch the Animatrix, then move on with your life, like the rest of us did in 2003. Reloaded is a bit of fun, but you can shut it off after the highway sequence. I guess. But, um, I, it's been too long since I last watched that. Anyway, tell me about enough. Resurrections. Yes. So he's in the Matrix again. He has no memory of any of his previous exploits. Mm. And he is contacted by members of the New Resistance. Uh, Bugs, played by Jessica Hennick. And a okay. reskinned Morpheus, played by, mm. I didn't practice his name, Raya Abdul-Mateen II. Okay. Very good name. Cool. Uh, hoping to, And they are hoping to free his mind once again because they think it will be the key to winning the war against the machines, mm. which is back on. Back, Back on, on, folks. Fun. Yeah. Round what, two. Machine what, round two. Ding bow, ding. Bow, bow. Kind of <laughs> kind of a draw? The first kind round. Of. So I mean I guess technically this is the seventh round. Uh but yes. Yeah. I'm a little I'm I'm frustrated by this film. Because in many ways it represents what I like a movie sequel to do. Mm. It's challenging many of the ideas of the original film, it's mm-hmm. expanding on the universe, it's you know, being very cheeky with its own obligations towards continuity and basically the typical expectations of a Matrix sequel and it's departing both aesthetically and structurally. Mm. Um, it's certainly not a remake. They haven't just retrod the same ground. It's unexpected and it keeps you guessing. I just wish it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and <Okay>. enjoyable. Right. <laughs> in doing that. I mean, a dental mm. procedure is unexpected and keeps you guessing. <laughs> Oh, oh, surprise, you need your molar taken out. Ooh, what's next? (laughs) A chase sequence. What does that thing do? Ah! (laughs) I peeked out my audio there. Um, Part of the appeal of the original Matrix film was the elegance of the central metaphor. Mm. Most of the world is asleep. The world that they think matters is an illusion that keeps you busy whilst Mm -hmm. the people with, or the things with real power, harness all of the real fruits of your labor. Mm. That's the modern condition that we're all stuck in. And it's very universal, very pertinent, and affords the filmmakers the chance to do a lot of very expressive and creative visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can yeah. tell a story about quitting your nine to five <laughs> in such a way that you can do bullet time, then <laughs> you've done a good job of yeah, orchestrating things, and finding an accessible way to put a message across. Mm. 
this film has a much blunter, more specific, and kind of embittered metaphor, at least for the first half. You see, Thomas Anderson is living back inside of the Matrix, and he's a video game developer whose biggest hit was the Matrix trilogy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. Right? And there is now pressure on him to create a new video game against his will from his higher-ups, Warner Brothers. Right. (laughs) So without Uh wanting to, he sets about attending focus groups who debate what a Matrix sequel should be. And it feel it's an obvious dig he... at Hollywood executives, but also the audience. Are you kidding me? Is this no? <laughs> this is what the first half of the movie is. Are you sh- really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's about Neo being forced to make a sequel to The Matrix, right? And that's I, I admire it. It's, yeah. it's very special. But also, mm. do you remember how we were talking about Sherlock a few mm-hmm. weeks ago? And the BBC TV series, the BBC series. TV series, series, series. It should have been a series. Oh. It should have been make Irene Adler the star. Cut everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Is what we all wanted. But yep. there's the sequence at the beginning of season three where they have all the conspiracy theorists coming up with yes. what they think happened to Sherlock. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me that you felt that they were telegraphed to be ridiculous. It wasn't an mm-hmm. affectionate portrayal of their fandom. No. It was kind of obsessive yeah. and gross. Yeah. That's kind of what the executives felt like to me because they're just right. there and they're kind of meant to be Jonah Hill style modern douchebags. Mm-hmm. You know, just like one word, bullet time. Right. You know, <laughs> these movies, they need to not be pretentious. And they've just got like a focus group mm-hmm. who are just going on about what they think a Matrix sequel should be. And it feels like throughout all of this is the basic admission that Lana Wachowski doesn't want to be here. And. <laughs> Throughout the whole thing, there's this tremendous reverence shown for the first film, or the original game, as they keep Mm. referring to it. Everyone praises it for being really original. And Mm -hmm. they keep talking about how redundant any sequel should be to that because, you know, people only want sequels now. Nobody wants anything original. Here's the thing. There is no originality in anything. Everything is just combinations of things that have come before. The Matrix is William Gibson's Neuromancer by way of Japanese anime with enough Hong Kong action beats thrown in to make it more commercially viable than any of its progenitors. Okay. And what was the first name you said there? William Gibson's Neuromancer, a novel okay. which is basically The Matrix. And right. that's fine. Yeah. That's no, it's fine. Even. It's totally fine to remake things and it is. twist you things. Know, and, yeah. As Jim Jarmusch says, you know, steal from anything that, mo- that inspires you, mm. you know, and so long as you are sincere, your theft will be authentic. That's yeah. the way to do things. But I resent the implication that originality is the most important aspect a film can achieve when mm. authenticity is far more important. Mm-hmm. And is maybe this film's biggest challenge, because it mm-hmm. is a bit of a weakness of Lana Wachowski's, I'm afraid. Okay. I buy that Lana Wachowski was pressured into making a Matrix movie when she really didn't want to. I don't buy the love story that they decide to put at the, the center of this, or the cult of celebrity that's built up around Neo and the other world, or any of the character-based stuff that I needed to invest in to really be carried along mm. by this movie. It feels like a little, a little work of like vandalism, and I respect it for that. <laughs> okay. But I can't say that I had much fun. Also, originality is lacking in cinema now, says the director whose films since The Matrix have been two sequels to The Matrix, (laughs) three now, an adaptation of a graphic novel, an adaptation of Speed Racer, an adaptation of a popular novel, Cloud Atlas, and an admittedly original work, Jupiter Ascending. (laughs) Okay. So, Mm, yeah. Stop. It, it almost feels like you're trying to make me feel bad for not having appreciated any of those things. Yeah. Because I wasn't asking for another Matrix sequel. No. I was all right. No. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I hope I didn't make you feel you ought to be here. <laughs> the problem making yet another Matrix sequel is just the chance increases that the proportion of Matrix stuff that is good is just going to get smaller. Oh, God. And now we're down to a quarter of the film, quarter <laughs> of the film content that is Matrix oh, being good. It used oh, to be a third. God. Now a quarter. Now, can you honestly yeah. recommend a franchise based on a quarter of the stuff being good? <laughs> yes, I can do worse. I can recommend the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's true. That's, That's true. what, a sixth now? That's... Yeah. <laughs> With The Matrix, there's this idea that the situation of the world was bad when the first Matrix film came out, but now it's worse. Mm. Because at the turn of the last century, everyone was facing a bleak future of mm. salary slavery and loss of purpose with no real sense of identity, but now everyone has a phone. Which is way worse. Oh, yeah. People don't want hope anymore. Unlike 1999, that joyful, blissful year. Mm. 
Remember when we <laughs> thought we'd all die because of the Millennium Bug? <laughs> I thing? do remember that. Remember it that when that was out. our problems? <laughs> remember that? That's fair. Remember when the internet was going to steal your soul and make your plane crash and your toaster attack you? It's just still on. It's still on. <laughs> it's still on. This is aggravated by the fact that I recently saw two family films that tackled the relationship between people and technology in a much more interesting and nuanced interesting. way. That's The Mitchells versus The Machines, uh, which is on Netflix, I've and Wrong's Gone Wrong, which is oh, on and, Disney. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was They're at the both... London Film Festival, wasn't it? It was at the London Film Festival, mm. um, and rightly so, because they were both very charming. Mm. Yeah, I really like them both. Oh, um, great. And both feel like how family dynamics are affected by technology. Interesting. In a way that's not just phones suck it was so much better beforehand it's like no we're still human beings we still have the same problems yeah. <laughs> uh phones are just a new challenge and we just need yeah. to learn to communicate with each other openly mm. with them and and in spite of them this movie just feels grumpy <laughs> it feels grumpy oh. that the world has moved on and i don't know maybe 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 it must be frustrating if you're lana wachowski and lily wachowski to have made the hit movie it's mm. total citizen kane syndrome they oh, made yeah. the best movie, the movie they're going to be remembered for forever, as their second film. Yeah, that's you know, tough. To- totally eclipsing Bound, which was their first film, which was mm. well received. But, you know, it- it's the Matrix. They are the mm. Matrix pair. Yeah. Um, and will be remembered as such. And that must be frustrating and lead to a lot of complicated feelings towards your legacy. But mm. Hey, but at least you made one. You made You made a cinema culturally changing, you know, this gets everyone yeah. knows the Matrix. At yeah. least you wrote, you did that. Just yeah, just it, chill for the rest of your life. It's fine, you've got a legacy now. <laughs> you have a legacy now, and this just feels like a very odd, slightly embittered sort of, I'm here because I was forced to be and I'm angry. Mm. And then once we do get moving and we get back to reality not being real and the messaging is basically the same as the 1999 film, Okay, it is just a case of the same but more so. Free your mind uh, more now. There's not uh, a brand free. new thing. Okay. It'd be extra free and even more so than before. Hey, remember when we said free your minds? Um, do some more now. Because yeah. The Matrix was always really good at identifying the problems of modern life, the sort of dull monotony, the loops that mm. we're all stuck in, the way in which we sort of mindlessly go about our lives, you know, without questioning mm-hmm. who's benefiting from what we're doing. That's great. Yes, identify that. They never offered a very compelling alternative. <laughs> because what Neo no. does, once he realizes it, is goes and lives on like a really shitty spaceship that has to hide all the time. And he wears bad clothes, eats terrible food. And what needs to be real there is the relationship between him and the other people. Mm. Because the idea needs to be... Yes, he's living rough now, which you would do if you left your job and, you know, went off to live in like a commune or something. But he's having real and authentic communication and experiences with his fellow people. Mm. Then you get down to how the Wachowskis write people. <laughs> and well, it's... <laughs> well. <laughs> um, so ideologically, I'm not on board. It's not mm. incendiary enough to justify being as grouchy as it is. But okay. let's let's get back to the fun. Because this is an action movie. Yeah, does there have cool scenes? Does there have cool scenes, Paul? Does there have cool scenes? Well, it does Does it not, it has. Because mm. we get into know. some of the... We, we, we get into some of the Wachowski weaknesses okay. um, that you've seen before. Very weak characters, very generic plot mm. once the action starts going. And this is the part that really breaks my heart. I really dislike the action in it. Oh no, that's I, a shame. Isn't it? I follow mm. some of the cast on Instagram and I've seen some of their training. Mm. And the mobile phones that this movie is so resentful of did a better job of capturing the moves oh, that no. they've choreographed and learned than the cameras of the film. Ooh. Because the fights are clustered, over-edited and hard to make out. Ugh. We're too close to the action. We're moving about too much. And you can tell that people like Keanu Reeves and Jessica Hennick have actually practiced their moves and they're doing cool stuff, but you're having to like use your imagination to stitch it all together oh, to think shame. about what it should look like. Mm. And that's such a fall from grace from the original Matrix movie, mm. which had such good action. It's very frustrating. But look, it's not all bad. Good. But everything I enjoyed, interestingly, is from the new stuff. So, yes, Jessica Hennick is great as Bugs. Mm. Um, does... <laughs> the very cheeky line she's named bugs you know white rabbit you know mm. connection etc but one point does earnestly and without irony say what's up doc to the doctor character <laughs> that's good which is fun and that i was very fun. interested in her character because she was working as a window cleaner when she saw something that challenged her view of reality mm. and as a result she managed to free herself and her mind okay um she's interesting let's 
follow yeah. her, but she's barely in the last half mm. of the movie once Neo, you know, gets out. Once he gets his mind free. Uh. Once he gets his mind free, it's like, hey, let's go back to whatever. Let's go back to a kind of echo of the first movie. Of the first movie. Mm. The new Morpheus is actually an amalgamation of Morpheus and Smith, which is very interesting. It's okay. like Neo combining as he's designing, he because de- he designed that character who then escapes from the game he's designing. Again, okay. it sounds so much more fun when I'm saying it like that. <laughs> oh. um, and he designed it as a combination of Smith and Morpheus, the two men who most influenced his life. And you think that would lead to a character with very interesting dichotomies internally. Mm. Um, but yeah, he gets very few lines after yeah. after that first half. And also, Trinity has a husband and kids now. She's in the new Matrix and she has a family. Right. And so she has a real interest in staying in the Matrix, which no mm. one else has ever had. No. Which is really interesting. That like, is interesting. Neo, in the first movie, he had nothing to lose from leaving the Matrix. He didn't even seem to have a family. He had a landlady who he helped take out her mm. garbage. But he had nothing else. <laughs> what about the guy who, um, Mrs. Steak? Oh, Cypher. He was always Cypher. a very relatable character to me. And that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> he just wants to go eat a steak again. Exactly. And I always loved that. I always loved the bad guys mm, because he's Hugo great. Weaving and Cypher are the two most human mm. parts of that original movie. <laughs> Weird. And that that carries on into the second and third movies, I think, is the bad guys always come to life. It is a human emotion. <laughs> it's the smell. There is such a thing. <laughs> it's oh, just great. We have a new actor playing Smith, kind of. I don't know okay. his name. He's um, He's too young and pretty really and i know that's meant to be part of the point but he just doesn't have the gravitas and a new villain is revealed part way through and it's kind of cool who it is but and they are quite diabolical and it is entertaining um yeah he's probably the more interesting character in it thinking about it i wish i could Mm. say who it is but it would be a bit of a spoiler yeah um but yes trinity has husband and kids Mm -hmm. and you know, that's a good that's good for the metaphor because it's pretty hard to say free your mind and quit your nine to five when you have yeah. you know, and embrace embrace a life as a filthy underfed outsider if you've got a spouse and kids. Yeah. But the movie cops out there too, in Aww. in a way I won't spoil here, but okay. there's a reveal that kind of means, Oh no, it's not a choice after all. Don't worry. Mm. Don't get anxious about this. When Neo is developing the new Matrix game in the movie, there's a line where he says, There's so much of myself in that game. You know, and he indicates that's why he didn't want to just hand it over and let someone else make okay. it, which is obviously what Lana Wachowski's doing. Right. But the thing is, a lot of us saw ourselves in the Matrix. Mm. And maybe some of those people have something to say, new to say based yeah. on the ideas you put out there. Mm. And that might be interesting to pursue. Mm. This, I think, is stagnation. Mm. It's the rock band who ran out of things to say a couple of albums ago and now are writing about getting bad reviews and life on tour. <laughs> you know, I think we're done. I think the matrix might be done or at least in need of some new blood. Yeah. You know, let someone else have a chance at freeing our minds now because it's Jordan Peele. He's doing it. Is he? I was going to say, yes. who would you, who would you <laughs> like to see direct a matrix movie? <gasps> well, Jordan Peele hasn't done a uh, sci-fi yet, but I would be interested. Yeah. Okay, I, 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 I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm just going to say <laughs> fucking Ryan Johnson yeah. Or um, who's the lady who directed uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin? And um, I don't know. Uh, why are you asking me? Lynn Ramsey. Lynn Ramsey. Okay. I would want Lynn Ramsey to make a new Matrix movie. So Cool. And it would be very enjoyable to me, specifically. Well, <laughs> and a lot of other people, I'm sure. I'm sure that would be a good film. <laughs> At least let someone interesting write the script and then get the stunt team behind John Wick or something to yeah. actually direct the film. Yeah. Mm. I, in terms of stars, I think it's two. For me, it's Too, an wow. interesting, an interesting little film, mm. but I did not enjoy my experience of watching it, and I feel disinclined to return to it. Although I would do so before the Matrix Revolutions. Okay. Wow. Ugh. I think you gave a higher score for Resident Evil. No, I didn't give Resi three. I, I think hope. you did. If I if I did, then everybody retconned that I gave this three because it's better than Resident Evil. It's not. <laughs> it's. Are you sure? I fit, yes, it is. Okay, it, okay. This irritated me, and that is not nothing. No. Actually, mm-hmm. being able to actually piss you off a bit mm. is a prov- it's a provocative film mm. in that way, and maybe yeah. that's a good thing. It has value for that, okay. but I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> fine, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, shame. I had uh, I had hopes for it, but um... oh, go see. I-, I would be very curious to hear your reaction. To be honest, this is a film I would actually recommend to people because I want feedback. 
Okay, yeah. Something like 65% on the Rotten mm, Tomatoes and Metacritic. That's an this interesting. Is a mm. Divisive film mm. that people feel strongly about. And that okay. is fun and interesting. And I like hearing people talk about that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'd, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out then. Okay, so uh, what else have you been watching? Tell me about well, another film. Also, relatively new in cinemas, is Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. Yes, which inspired me an insecurity that I wasn't saying licorice, right? <laughs> Nobody says licorice, right? I don't. No, but I don't think anyone does. Maybe. I mean, never I say never. That... Oh, God. What, what what do Americans do? I I've never know. thought... I didn't know Americans knew about licorice. I That's... don't know. I've cut licorice out of my life a long time ago. Yeah, it's uh, like Immediately after the thing. first time I tried it. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. fair that is fair fortunately this has far more of the qualities of pizza than licorice oh wonderful so this is paul thomas anderson okay uh, his first film since phantom fred mm-hmm. and it's a vaguely biographical story of the relationship between uh gary valentine a 16 year old child actor played by cooper hoffman son of uh, philip seymour okay and alana kane who is a 25 year old mm-hmm. photographer's assistant uh damn it why didn't i put the because you're a sexist. Because I'm the biggest misogynist <laughs> you're going to meet today. It's funny because it's not true. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alana Hyam. Mm. Uh, they then proceed to live their chaotic lives in 1973, drifting apart, coming together in a cycle of love and fury. Mm-hmm. So I really loved this. Okay, I great. really enjoyed every moment of I spent in this world mm-hmm. with these characters it's this very sort of 70s world, a 70s kind of cinematic world that recalls like teenage movies or movies about teenagers from the 1970s. And Fun. Everything from the fashion, the incredibly sl- uh, slick straight hair that everybody has. Mm. But also it catches the kind of grunginess of being a teenager. Everybody's got a bit of ac- acne and greasy hair and mm. it's very evocative. It, it really, it feels like it draws together a lot of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's key strengths. You've got the sprawling expansive narratives and offbeat comedy and intimacy of his early work like boogie nights and magnolia and that kind of thing okay and the epic character-driven drama of his post there will be blood movies i actually feel somewhat like the master um in how it just sort of meanders around this strange meeting between two eccentric characters and just his talent for creating a really immersive space um it's actually a marvel to sit here and think of all the things that happen in this movie the okay. early high school drama, the child star ego and downfall, mm. the waterbed shilling that happens when the guy decides he's going to become a waterbed mogul. Okay. Um, the political campaigning, um, the mm. run-in with a deranged movie producer played by Bradley uh, Cooper. It sounds fun. An aging actor commandeering a restaurant in order to take them on an ego trip with him. Wow. Um, it's just a ramshackle series of yarns that are evocative feel very authentic for the time and place and are just completely character driven okay and alana hyam there's her name uh steals the whole goddamn movie as a young woman who's smart fierce and passionate but who will fight with everyone it's the mm-hmm. issue <laughs> she'll fight there's a brilliant <laughs> moment where it sets up a scene of her sitting with her sister played by her actual sisters which you can tell because for a minute i thought one of them was just like when they get one actor to play two characters oh, okay yeah <laughs> she looks exactly like her but the moment where they, they establish a nice scene and it settles in and they're smoking together and you're like, okay, this is going to be a bonding moment. And the opening gab that the sister has, it has is, um, you just can't fight everyone all the time. And she says, fuck off! And she gets off and walks <laughs> off and that's the end of the scene. That's really good. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's and the movie starts with her offering a comb to kids and then just yelling at them when they ignore her or push past her. It's She's mm. the best. Cooper Hoffman is brilliant as Gary Valentine, which is a great name for a character. <laughs> um, he is the would-be child star heartthrob who has a lot of confidence, some charm, but he's an idiot. And okay. He's very naive, very romantic in his notions, um, and consequently they just have this great chemistry together. Mm. And they make a lot of sense together too, because she's all smarts and talent, mm-hmm. but doesn't give a fuck. And he's all direction, but no okay. vision or means of getting anywhere. Right. So... Yeah, he kind of has these vague ideas of what should happen next, and then she kind of drives drives him to it, kind of literally most of the time. <laughs> they're they're completely dissimilar, but they only make sense and work together. Right. So the romance story, 
Yeah, it just feels very charming, the back and forth they have, but mm. also just the unspoken moments where they're just embroiled in a misadventure together mm. is really fun. Um, it feels like Anderson has retained some of the pension from his uh, work on Inherent Vice uh, because he's created something that is meandering, but charming and funny and just completely okay. rooted in its characters. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's just something I can't wait to see again. Oh, fun. Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd check that one out. I think so. It's getting yeah. all five stars. Oh, one. fun. Oh, definitely then. Yeah, it sounds like a fun, charming, slightly silly romp. The only issue I could imagine someone having with it is being like, I think when I left the cinema, I heard two people saying, oh, it took a while to get going. But it's like, uh. it's not going anywhere. Okay. It's just yeah. going to move It's not about space. story so much as about these characters. Yeah, it would yeah. be like my ideal version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is where the movie ends before the... Um, have you seen it? Sorry. No, but I know about... Oh. I know. Yeah, no, I know it in detail. Yeah. <laughs> if it ended before the Manson family thing, yeah. where it was just like three characters in Hollywood and the mm. day they had. That would be okay. my ideal movie, and that's this. You know, yeah. This is just a story of 1973 in mm. LA and what two young people and their friends got up to in that time. Fun. And I, lo- I love it. Yeah. I sometimes think it's particularly fun to live, uh, watch films about a time and place that you were never in. Mm. And yeah, they just really it's... evoke it. And you're like, oh, I can escape into this fantasy land for a while. <laughs> Even if well, this exactly. isn't exactly what it was like. It's a, how we tell the story of what that time was like. Because even the bad stuff is now, not, it's like uh, relaxed as a result of the time that's gone. So yeah, they have the fuel crisis years. in there. Yeah. It's been a lot. It's been at 70, least two hundred years. <laughs> it's been at least two hundred years. Yeah, and the fuel crisis is in there when nobody in LA has any fuel, and it's there's just a romance to it. It was probably terrifying yeah. at the time. Like, how mm-hmm. am I going to get to work? LA is built so that you drive yeah. everywhere. You literally can't walk. Ooh. How am I going to live? And yet, as a result of the time that's passed, you can watch it as a kind of like novelty. Like people are mm. just literally getting out of their cars on the street when they run out of fuel and just walking. Wow. It's yeah, it's very huh. interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, that sounds fun. Anything else? Well, mm. I was trying to I was trying to start this by doing like a part of one of the songs, but I I can't remember <laughs> one of them. <laughs> All I remember is how this particular music, the, the first lyric that gets sung in this, I believe, is "When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from the top of your head to the." Old fashioned day when you're a jet <laughs> to the old fashioned day. That's the what they end. say. You're a oh. man, little man, you're a king, little boy, you're a friend. No, I, I listened, I watched the original. I know what you're talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this just the other day and I still can't remember any of the lyrics. <laughs> Nor can I, and I saw it on the big old screen. It's West Side Story. <laughs> 2021? Mm. Yes, 2021. The Steven Spielberg movie. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, for a bit of context, I believe I invited you to come and see this with me. <laughs> you did. And you're a... Your response was, oh, I'm actually still in Lancashire this week, but also no. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, um, I'm with Miriam Margulies on this. I can't see why this well, film has been remade, but please enlighten me. <laughs> so the story is Romeo and Juliet, care of the music by Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim. Uh, the musical, sorry, by Leonard Bernstein and mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Sondheim, a book by Arthur Lorenz. Uh, skirting around the Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins film, uh, which is considered to be one of the best musicals of all time. Mm-hmm. What's the point in that? Asked Marion Mogolis in a more concise review than I've got for you today. <laughs> um, now, look, cards on the table. I have tragically managed to make it 33 years into my time on this earth without seeing the 1961 film. Are you kidding me? I know, it's the worst. Uh, musicals were a bit of a blind spot. I'm working on it now. Okay. Um, well, watch... let me help you. I'll teach you all about them. I watched that. I've watched that one. When you're a jet, you're a jet till the end. <laughs> That's unfortunate that I hadn't seen it before this, but I mm. have gone back and watched some of the musical numbers for comparison. Okay. And based on doing that, there's an awful lot that Spielberg has been able to bring to this, but also mm-hmm. maintain. Okay. Because it's a very charming film that modernizes the visual style without losing the necessary sense of detachment mm-hmm. and flair and sense of camp that excuses the eccentricity of this project Mm. because after all this is a musical about gang violence oh yeah so there's got to be a bit of a suspension of disbelief there Mm. and it does have that going for it um there's some really memorable staging of these numbers and the dance choreography is very good okay cool um and in terms of the difference between the two approaches i would say that the 1961 film from what i've seen 
manages to recreate that most wonderful of things, the entire world on a stage. Mm. Like it still looks like a stage, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful because you get the impression mm. of the city through this stage. Whereas Spielberg is creating a stage in a world. Okay. You feel like this is a big, expansive city made of light and color right. and it's vibrant um, because it's endangered but alive and exciting. Mm. It's populated with all these excellent characters, especially Mike Faced as Riff, who okay. stole the movie. Mm-hmm. He's really good. Okay. And Ariana DeBose as Anita. Okay. Um, Faced has the boyish look, mm. uh, but this immovable presence, like he's made of iron, like you couldn't mm. knock this guy over if you tried. Um, and he speaks with a voice that's like Steve Buscemi on helium. <laughs> and the result is captivating. Oh, wow. Okay. There's something about a tough guy who talks like this that mm. just <laughs> really gets me on board. <laughs> like, yes, I would follow this man anywhere. Yeah. There's a reason he leads your gang. Yeah, exactly. He's got the he's got the shrillest voice. <laughs> he's got the shrillest voice. That's how they decide it on the streets. <laughs> Why I oughta You oughta what? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. You're you're the you're the boss, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so Debose meanwhile is fire is fiery mm. and bold and she's exciting in every scene she's in. She's mm. um yeah, she's the uh Maria's brother's wife. I mean, mm. possibly not full wife but yeah she's she's the one who uh, takes the lead on um on america yeah yeah america see i know the words <laughs> i like to be in america come by the sea in america oh, we have a so tree in america written. the songs are still great the songs are still just mm. the, the, the lyrics are so well preserved and just really clever and fun i, I was curious to see how much they would have changed it Yes, and I, I yes, I'm afraid I can't offer too much mm. insight on that, having not seen the original. But oh, get aesthetically, out of here. get know, out of this I'm, podcast. I'm just, I'm just look. You've seen the original. I've seen the remake. Let's talk about it. How did how say, did the Mr. Krupke song go? Okay, how odd, Officer Krupke. Yeah. Yes. Um, I saw this movie as part of the silver screen uh, thing that they do at Picture House. Okay. Which is older audiences get in right. for much cheaper. Mm. So I saw it. So you put some makeup crowd. on, dyed your hair gray. <laughs> I, I I can pass. So <laughs> I got in and, and like I'm watching this with an older crowd, which is always an improvement on whatever film you're seeing. The one I always go to is um, I went and saw the King's Speech with an older crowd. Mm. And at the point when Guy Pierce's, uh whichever king it is who resigned to be with uh, Wallace Edward? Simpson. Yes. Let's say yes. <laughs> the E and we. Yes, it makes sense. Um, yes. Uh, he's making fun of Bertie, you know, mm. making fun of his lisp. And then the woman behind me is just like, he's not very nice, is he? <laughs> That's too cute. Yay. I need an audio commentary on every movie I own. But in this, OG of, um, Officer Krotsky plays, and it's a fucking barnstormer of a song. Oh, it's a cracking it's song. Original, oh, it's so good. Original film, this is the one I went back to for comparison, staged on the street mm. um, across various stoops, which seems mm-hmm. to be quite a lot of the settings. In here, we're in a prison cell. Oh, interesting. The, the, the prison officers have run out after. Is there a character in the original who is a girl who wants to. Yes. Who identifies as a boy? Yes. Well, it's never yeah. really discussed. She's a tom. She's clearly a tomboy who wants to be part of the gang, but they're always like, oh, you're a girl. You can't yeah. be. And she well, doesn't this... do a lot except for in the end of the Ooh. knife fight. She's the one who goes back and grabs um, Tony and is like, come on, get out of here before the right. police turn yes. up. That's about that the happens. most she does, as far as I can remember. Well, it's it's more it's a little more complicated. I think they might be going for a trans identity thing in mm, the new film. It's a clear, it's a clear want, thing to do. <laughs> she some, wants male yeah. pronouns, he right? Wants, so therefore, yeah. I should say he wants male pronouns. Okay. Um, and yes, he does more in this. He is. Oh, uh, he delivers the news that the dead man's brother is out looking for. Um, mm. What's his name? Tony, uh, for the, the hero, Tony. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, he's involved a little bit in that respect. Okay. But, that was like, yeah. So the um, OG Crosby uh, Kro- song. The police have all rushed out. Um, they're doing this big number inside the police station, throwing papers around, messing up the place, mm. and doing this incredible dancing and this br- brilliant song that might be one of the best ones in the musical mm. um, because it's just yeah, so it's so catchy, acute, yeah, so, catchy, so good. And it's saying something so mm. fun in such a cheeky way, mm-hmm. and it's characterizing some of the background characters in the Jets. Um, when it ended. There was an impromptu round of applause. Oh, great! <laughs> from the old crowd, and it was great. It was oh. the only one the movie got. Interesting. And it was, yeah, deserved. It was very, very good. Oh yeah. There are only really two problems here. Okay. And they are a bit big. Okay. <laughs> Firstly, and I can only speak for this version of the film, 
but I found the central love story a bit weak. Okay. I know this is Romeo and Juliet, so it's mm-hmm. all about infatuation and young mm-hmm. love that is built from mm-hmm. a sort of surface level thing. Um, and, you know, Shakespeare's whole deal was you shouldn't be Romeo and Juliet. You know, it's a tragedy. <laughs> they gave no. their lives away over the strength of their passion. They're well but, fit, but you don't want to be <laughs> They're them. so fit, but don't kill yourself because they're dead. You'll, <laughs> th- there are other people in Verona. No. But I just didn't get the chemistry between Ansel Egort no, and uh, Rachel Zegler. Egort felt too much the soppy romantic lead. Okay. And Zegler is so beautiful that she looked like a special effect. <laughs> And that's what a not compliment. Inter- <laughs> You're so beautiful. You don't look real. You're, you look like you've been drawn, but it's not her. It's entirely not her fault. It's, it's as much mm. down to the overly sentimental way in which Spielberg okay, shoots yeah. them. Yeah. You know, very soft focus, very very fifties. You know, mm. and it's it's just kind of dreamlike the two of them. And so yeah. I didn't quite get the relationship. But there's an argument there that you know, the relationship is meant to be flawed if it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, they're just head over heels. They're just young and immediately hot. see each other. That you know, he's waiting for something more. She yes. knows she's you know been Molly Coddles, and this is her first steps out into yes. the world as a woman. And they see now, each other and just boom. The first half of that is way better expressed in Spielberg than um, the second half. I did okay. get a sense that she represented his chance at something more than the jet lifestyle. Mm. I wasn't entirely sure what was in it for her beyond just you know the excitement of dating yeah. a gangster. <laughs> So fair enough. I don't think it's meant to. That's funny that you'd phrase it like that because in the other one, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, um, no, 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 that's interesting. In the other one, it's not. It's very no, much not it, the no. Case. They're just in yeah. love with each other, and he's the. Yeah. You know, he's already stepping away from the jets because yeah. he's got a job, and he's like, look, it's time for me to grow up and do something else. You know, yeah. You'll always be my friends, but I yeah. want something more. I want to do something else. And he's like, he has this song. He's like, something's. Uh, happen, what something's coming, you know, something's mm. about to happen. I'm having dreams about yeah, reaching yeah. out to someone. And so, you know, obviously, perfect, you know, that's why he's primed to just fall in love at this moment. And she's there and she, you know, she wants to be a, you know, she wants to be loved. Yeah, and uh, and they just loved. head over heels and she doesn't want, you know, she sends him off to try and stop right. any violence happening. She yes, doesn't want any more too. fighting. Yeah, that's why he ends up going down and making a real hash of things. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it had gone much better if he hadn't been there. No, but at least he wouldn't <laughs> have stabbed everyone. No, that's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that does get awkward. Um, yeah. So that's Whoops, one problem. I stabbed it's... your brother. Is not a great line, is it? That's one of the, that's one of the numbers, if yeah. I remember correctly. Whoops, I stabbed your brother. <laughs> when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. So that's one issue. The second problem is in the heights. Okay, yeah. A very similar but much more contemporary and, mm. dare I say, authentic movie released earlier last year. Mm-hmm. This movie is a very earnest but somewhat removed account of an immigrant's experience in America. Mm-hmm. You're doing double the maths here. You're like, okay, this is the situation that it was in the 50s. But yes, there's still bits that's relatable today. Yeah. Also, this is more about... I feel like Sondheim, Lorenz, and Spielberg all experienced anti-Semitism in their lives. And the, mm. originally, I think... The premise involved Catholics okay. living in a New York neighborhood. Um, so there was more of a religious angle than mm. a racial one. And I don't think at any stage anyone from Puerto Rico, I think, is uh, where the gang's from. Yes. Has been involved in the writing of these. Um, of these no, things. I did wonder that. But um, Yeah. Whereas because, in the Heights. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Please, please. In the Heights is drawing on a much more sort of lived in experience of like second generation mm. immigrants, the mm-hmm. legacy of their parents. It's almost as if. In the Heights is almost as if the West Side Story people had kids. Yeah. And now the kids, uh, and the jets have gone, and we're yeah. just focusing on the kids of the sharks and what their lifestyle mm. is like now. And it just feels a bit more alive, honest, and evocative mm. than this film. Okay, yeah. It's, it, it ends up being something of a novelty. What if Sp- mm. Steven Spielberg had made West Side Story? And mm. very, very stylish, a lot of fun, really endearing in a lot of places, but I'm not quite sure it did get around to answering Marion Margolis's question. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have been listening to a lot of Radio 2 mm. uh, whilst I've been home at my <laughs> parents' house. And um, their album of the week is the soundtrack from this new film. And so oh. they played Maria. Uh, oh, I was yeah. just sitting there. And I was like, oh, interesting. Great. I want to hear what this sounds like and whether it's changed mm. at all. It sounded to me, and I've listened to the original Maria a lot, sounded yeah. very similar. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of had a moment of thinking... <laughs> Look, I love the original, Why? but I don't think you 
I, I feel like some even the voice was similar like the whole thing the way he yeah. sang it was similar like it's the same phrasing like it's this is not even a cover of this song this is <laughs> someone else singing this exact same song yeah uh, but with it's... a slight less charm because it's not the you know I loved the original <laughs> guy yeah. so much so uh yeah yeah that sounds about right and mm. consequently I think this is a three starer for me because Fair. partly because it's all too typical for Spielberg these days and mm. that's a bit disappointing it's it's sweet it's stylish and it's involving but who's going to be talking about it in a month yeah you know and I do wish he would make something a little less nostalgic yeah that's fair that's fair okay, mm. okay. well okay never mind let's move on let's move on let's There's move on was another thing there and, is uh, sometimes the other thing is just a really charming really sweet kind of movie that was just what you were looking for but sometimes it's titan <laughs> titan Okay, I yeah. have heard of this film, but only because you've told me about it already. I read the uh, the blurb in the London Film Festival <laughs> program and Yay. went immediately, no, absolutely, that's the opposite <laughs> of my want to see list. <laughs> just in case my awful attempt at French, which basically just involves ignoring some of the consonants. Mm, just randomly pick a few and ignore them, that works. Yeah, that, that usually works. Uh, it's t- Titan, which is uh, titanium in French. Mm. In the French that they're all speaking the about it. Uh, luckily that's the last time that um, dodgy French pronunciation is going to trip me up here so (laughs) visionary filmmaker Julia Ducournau (laughs) returns with her latest attempt to ruin your life specifically in the best possible way Mm. it's a film about a woman who gets into a car crash as a little girl then has sex with a car as an adult Mm -hmm. then goes on a murder spree Mm -hmm. and that's just the start of it (laughs) (laughs) what a film what a film what a flick yeah. This is a film with an actually somewhat minimal plot yeah. that is far more interested in the blood and guts of the mm-hmm. affair, both literally okay. and figuratively. Wow. It's about the gruesome and gory nature of familial relationships and also of body image and okay. identity. It's disturbing in terms of what it portray- portrays, but also in terms of what it explores. Okay. It's definitely an uncomfortable film. There's more than a little darkly comedic in how it's willing mm-hmm. to twist the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also trying to shock you, but not for the sake of it. It wants to shock you into thinking about what it's showing and engaging okay. with it. Um, it's about fatherhood, broadly, and the nature of unconditional love and how destructive it can be and how destructive the lack of it can be. Okay. Um, it's about how love is binding and how sexuality and violence can be used to explore identity. Um, it's about self-destruction as a form of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Um and it feels very dangerous and provocative, but it's just completely unique. It can only really be written about in a very haphazard style because it just <laughs> in kind French. Of flies at you. In French, preferably. And mm-hmm. I'm uh, mortified that I'm delivering it to you here in English. Mm. I can only curse the limitations of my own stagnant imagination. Mais but, non. Mais non. <laughs> perhaps. At the heart of it all is Agatha Roussel, mm-hmm. um, who is this terrifying wounded slightly mm. alien being who longs for the love of her father uh that she that, you know he never gave her but is also massively inconvenienced by the love of another man played by vincent uh lindon you're gonna say that? played by an audi <laughs> <laughs> what's that big show in france that he's in vincent london uh, i don't know who it's this is bosch. i don't know anyone huh everyone on a bus i get bosch advertised for me and i think that's him bosch bosch what are you on about what's his name bosch uh, Vincent Linden. Vincent Linden. Linden. He's got a very familiar face. He looks a bit like the Onion Knight from Game of Thrones. That's not going to help you. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> well, it's very good. He completely commits to a very vulnerable and strange role that comes comes to define the latter half of the film and his sort mm. of relationship with um, Agatha's character. Also... The movie looks beautiful. It's mm-hmm. neon-drenched, blood-splattered, mm. vulgarly colourful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like Paul Verhoeven or a Cronenberg. Okay. You know, it's a Cronenberg, either one of the two <laughs> that there are. Um, it's a completely bold and bonkers vision that is undeniably the work of an artist, even if you don't quite like the artist mm. pushing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's. I, I saw it at London Film Festival. I'm hoping to see it again now in its cinematic release. But yeah, at the moment, it's one of my favorite films of the year. So cool. yeah, it's getting all five. All five. Wow. All five. All five for this lovely family film. 
<laughs> please no, don't it's, take your children. No. Please don't take your children unless you want them to question the nature of your affection for them yeah. and their own bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know. And you car- want to have to walk home because they refuse to get in the car. <laughs> or maybe they'll be a little too keen on getting inside oh, of the car. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh dear. I was going to say autoerotica, but then that's something to do with choking as well. So I think so. You, I, I wouldn't know. know. Look, if you want to hear more about autoerotic <laughs> asphyxiation, please consult your local library because they're into some nasty shit down yeah, there. Yeah, just go ask them. Just ask them straight <laughs> to their faces. <laughs> okay, uh, there's two left. Okay, and these can be a bit more of a discussion. I think I haven't written out like a ridiculous little sure, thing sure. for this uh, because you've seen them both. Wow. First first of all, hitting Netflix, we have got The Lost Daughter. Oh, yes, I saw that advertised <laughs> on uh, Netflix. Mm. Yes, yes. So this is Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, in spite of what I thought about The Kindergarten Teacher, <laughs> um, starring Olivia Colman as a... Mm. Now, how can we describe this without giving anything away? She's a woman on holiday um, who has a strained relationship with her daughter and has an even begins to have an even more strained relationship with the family who are holidaying at the same resort. Yes. Um it's yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's based on a Elena Ferrante novel, isn't it? Mm. Yes. Um with the same title, I have to assume. I think so. Yeah. So uh, yes. I've never actually read any of her books, but I know she's mm. very good <laughs> and very very interesting stories. So um well, and I don't think that... it's exactly the same story, but um Right. Uh, well, it comes across within the yeah, premise of this. Yeah, I think it's the same it's, concept. Mm. It's such a delicious concept, mm. is this. And we have, throughout the film, flashbacks with her younger self, who's played by Jesse Buckley. And they just have this wonderful sort of... Um, they've both really achieved a great understanding of this character, who mm. is utterly fascinating in yes. her relatability and then as it lapses into really dark malevolence that she mm. kind of has not du- not dark in like a cinematic you know she's going to pick up a knife and start no you know not not in a tatan way but in <laughs> a a very relatable and unpleasant kind mm. of uh behavioral Just way in being a flawed human being being a very flawed human being struggled with her you know what she wants and her yep. responsibilities and just who she is and yeah. how she's seen and yeah She's a fa- it's a fascinating it's like another character study and it's fascinating whilst there's yeah. and there's also a story thrown in a bit as well <laughs> they threw it in it comes for free yeah, just a bit you know to keep things moving <laughs> so um, the meat of the movie is just watching her mm. interact with people and the just the various little social cues that she's completely unprepared to engage in i mm. think that's the best way the, the the most representative interaction is her first interaction with the um the family where mm. they're setting up their fucking circus of a family right next to where she's sunbathing <laughs> and the mum just says oh i'm sure this lady will move you'll move right and she just says no i'm fine thank you yeah that that's like it that's that sums up her attitude to life it's like why should yeah. i do that why do you assume i would be compliant with you mm. and the social expectation that demands i do what you say yeah that it's arbitrary i'm not going to do it. it i'm going to live my own life and that's kind of her approach to everything yeah we stray into the concepts of like parental anxiety, mm-hmm. which includes some somewhat disturbing emotional negligence and sequences of not like full on physical abuse, but definitely kind of abusive behavior mm. in terms of oh, like, yeah. verbal communication. Yeah, um, just not being very, uh, not not very gentle parenting. <laughs> just not being a very nice mum, and that's you yeah. know something that many of us would not be. I'd be a terrible mum. Yeah, in me every, too. Every way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, very yeah i found it very uh i i think this was my choice of film from the film that was the first film i ticked off the list yes this is the opposite to titan titan was at the <laughs> bottom this film was at the top um and i wanted to see it i think because i just find i'm finding watching films about parents mm. struggling with children very interesting <laughs> and reassuring and I'm considering reass- our life and reassuring and just yeah and just sort of you know a time in my life when I, you know, I have a an active womb being like, have a child. And the rest yeah. of me being like, I would, no. I really <laughs> no. dislike that way. I, would... I really dislike the way that thing talks to you. Yeah. In public it's, sometimes. You just hear it's, it down it's got a very high-pitched voice, so sometimes I have to listen to it. <laughs> sometimes you have to fight off the jets. Yeah. They try and... When you're a womb, you're a womb all the way. Um... <laughs> From the first time you're born to your last dying day. Yep. That's part of the lyric, I think. Yeah, I think so. We're getting there. Slowly we're getting closer. 
I get um, it. Who do you remember who plays the kind of weirdly interested fisherman who's like in her life and keeps like showing up now and then? Oh, it's is it a Skarsgård? Is that his name? No, it's Oh, no, it's, it's not that old, Skarsgård. No, it's he's he's it's got very actor. prominent cheekbones. It's a, it's a small little Liam, square head. It's someone in the Liam Neeson mold of things. Mm. I, you know, I can't name actors. If you're enjoying this sequence of uh, two people trying to remember the name of an actor, please like and subscribe and share this podcast. With, uh... <laughs> I can keep describing him. He had no hair. I think he's bald on top. But the rest Ed, of the Harris. Show, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. I just Peter, said that. <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard is in that. Did you? No. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> of course he did. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard is in there as um, I assume her husband when she was uh, when it's her younger self. Mm. Yes, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So yeah, it's just a really involving, somewhat dark story about a Mm. woman who, you know, is is trying to live her own life and is struggling with a lot of really dark issues. And I think Gyllenhaal has done a really, really good, so good job Mm -hmm. here of uh, staging this. And Olivia Coleman is just fantastic and very magnificent. She's amazing. She is. And I love that roles like this are existing right now. Yeah. You know, in, in Hollywood where so often at Olivia Coleman's age, you can either play a superhero's mum or <laughs> a witch in like a medieval yeah. drama. Yes. You know, it's great that this is a story of an actual yeah. person struggling with real mm. issues who I can then come on this podcast and demonize as some sort of <laughs> lunatic. I'm no, pretty she's... sure we're meant to relate to her behavior, but still acknowledge that it's exactly. Awful. She's what um, for me. It was a lot of what I feared I might act like yes. if I was put in those situations, and it was fascinating to see it played out and be like, "No, I'd like to hope actually I'd have made the good choice in that situation." <laughs> I think I'd but... at least know what to do here, but then doing it is another matter. But you know, it's one of those things. It's sort of it's not everyone is made in that perfect parent mold and some people take to it more naturally than others and yeah it turns out you know she was just sort of following the usual path and then maybe yeah. it wasn't actually the right choices for her but you know too late you're in yeah. it <laughs> too late <laughs> too there's, late there's a we need and to then, talk about kevin yeah, aspect to it yeah. not as the kid being you know we don't learn yeah. very much about the kids at all no no but in terms of that was a, a, a novel that lionel shriver wrote when she was i think expecting Mm. and it was about all of her anxieties mm. like how she was going to treat her kid and how the kid was therefore going to turn out mm. and i think this is yeah from a similar kind of book here yeah of, um yeah just about you know the pressure of being yeah. a parent the all-consuming nature of it because it's for something so generic in our society it is such an extraordinary thing to do yeah it's, it's uh really it was that yeah explored. i remember listening because we would we of course we were able to see maggie gillenhall come up come up and talk mm. about it because it was yes. her uk debut uh premiere of the film right yeah and it was absolutely. at the festival so yeah and she said <laughs> reading that book was just um i remember saying you know reading it was a topic that she also felt very relatable that this is something mm. that just isn't being talked about very much yeah. but um yeah. the idea that maybe not everyone is you know not every woman who has a child is actually that <laughs> that much of a natural at it um, well, yeah. But you can have competing desires between, you know, mo- wanting to mother, but maybe not being that yeah. great. And then maybe you push them away and then maybe that's not that great either. And then, yeah. yeah. I think we all it's have very relationships in our life where we know what a good version of the thing, being a brother or a son mm. or a partner, you know, whatever. We know what the version of that we want to be is, but then it's mm. a case of then also being able to do it yeah. every day. And it's just yeah, it's a more tough. complicated issue. Of course issue. it's tough. It is tough. And I think The Lost Daughter really gets to the heart of that. Yeah. And uh, it's beautiful, and uh, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. It's fantastic. I think, yeah, this is the this is the worst thing now. Is I think it's just five stars all the way down, and I'm really going to blow my currency (laughs) here. Don't worry. Wait until fucking February. (laughs) (laughs) Then you'll wonder if I ever give five stars to anything. At the point when the Oscar movies have all come out and Mm -hmm. played, and we go back to whatever Liam Neeson is up to now, (laughs) then. Then you'll wonder, you'll dream of the days when I used to give five stars to half of the roster. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, finally, mm. we have Macbeth. Macbeth. The tragedy thereof. Mm. Tragedy of Macbeth came out last week, I think. And this is uh, Joel Cohen's Sans mm. Ethan. So this mm-hmm. is a, a week of um, siblings ditching their siblings, which is... Uh, <laughs> Or rather, uh, siblings not being too infused about coming back to um, yeah. <laughs> to things. <laughs> yeah. You can take this one. 
yeah, yeah, yeah I'll tap right. out I, th- on this, I think Ethan is actually. I think he's announced he might actually be done. Yeah, which, that's um, fair. It's it's a frightening prospect, but based mm. on the strength of Joel Cohen's work here, it's not something I'm no. too afraid of. Because mm. this is a tremendous film. Mm. This is obviously a, a adaptation, a, a very straight adaptation of mm-hmm. uh, Macbeth. Yep. It is told, I think, in the tradition of a ghost story. Mm. In this one, it's more it, it's more of a horror kind of thing than it is a historical epic, which is you know what we saw mm. with Justin Kurzel's Macbeth a few years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Mm. Yeah, that it's, one it's, felt it's, more a bit bit more real this one feels a bit more uh stylized and it definitely is yeah. it's like expressionism yes you know it's it's these incredible sets just gorgeous sets um that recall orson wells adaptation mm. that he made for no money back in the uh, <laughs> 40s um and it has an old hollywood feel to it like the way in which he captures uh denzel washington as Macbeth and mm-hmm. uh, francis mcdormand as lady Macbeth. Yes. the way he's using the lighting Mm. Uh, and it's a black and white film as well and yes. the lighting is just so stark it just feels mm. like old hollywood mm-hmm. yeah. which is very pleasing it is it's very beautiful it really is um i think this this is one of denzel washington's best roles i think mm-hmm. he's really fantastic he fully commits to it he's the language sounds fantastic coming yeah, from him it does um he's got the sort of crazed fear in the eyes the mm. vaulting ambition and um and the, the tragedy as well, mm. the sort of pain and horror at his heart. The Tomorrow and Tomorrow speech was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, he's he's got a lot going for him. And Frances McDormand's really good as well. Like, oh, as, yeah. As Lady Macbeth, she really manages to... Yeah, because Lady Macbeth is a hard sell, I mm-hmm. found. Um, she has to go from, you know, you've got to do this, you know, that we could gain everything here. Mm. And then after the murder, in a few sequences, she needs to go mad. Yeah, and I have often felt that Shakespeare didn't quite write enough material because the only no. substantial bit of work she gets to do is comfort Macbeth after he's seen a ghost, mm. which isn't much. No, but McDormand sows the seeds of madness early on, mm. and yeah, does what 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 a really great Lady Macbeth does, which is to really make it convincing and compelling the journey that she goes yeah. on. Yeah, this. Yeah, uh, I really and, liked her. And we have to talk about the witch. Mm, yes um, <laughs> another Very person cool. whose name i failed to get here there's all sorts of approaches that you can uh take towards the uh the witches of the film here we have a single performer mm. um whose name i absolutely must get for you because she really got i think she she opens the movie as you'd expect there she is Catherine hunter mm. is her name and oh she's got such a great look to her she oh, looks yeah. frightening yeah um and profound yes and she plays the sisters but it's basically just her then she's talking to like reflections of her mm. and she has these like other personalities that she brings yeah. out it's very physical performance isn't it yeah, yeah. it really is <laughs> it's very good oh, not God. not just anyone could have done that role it feels no, almost it... like they wrote that concept was written <laughs> exactly for her to do and she feels so theatrical. Mm. She feels like, you know, a, a modern dancer or a contortionist or something. She feels mm. very much like she's just stepped off the stage. Um, yeah. Oh, the only thing that was a slight shame was Stephen Root as the porter. Stephen Root has been in every mm. uh, Coen Brothers thing, I think, or at least most of them. Okay. Um, And here appears as the porter, which is the comedic relief scene, which often gets left out. But I was mm. not surprised to see that um, the Coen Brothers... Uh, well, the, oh, shit. Yeah, that the Cohen the brother. Cohen brother. <laughs> yeah, the Cohen brother um, mm. included in his film. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit rushed over, mm-hmm. and the sound of the knocking drowns out some of his speech. But that might have just been, be- have been because we saw it in the cacophonous yes. um, Royal Albert Hall uh, screening. But no, not Royal Albert Hall. Uh, Royal Festival Hall. Royal Festival Hall. Yeah, where, like a yeah, giant we, theater room. It was huge, and we mm. saw the Lost Daughter there as well. And it yeah. is a little tricky to hear, pick out dialogue yeah. in that <laughs> giant room. <laughs> um but yeah incredible performances across the board and just a very Mm. absorbing uh rendition of this classic story yeah i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was a great version (laughs) very stylistic very striking Mm. um engaging and a uh a good um oh how's my family scene yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is all i can ask for is that um act act four scene two be played with uh as much commitment as possible from Mm -hmm. the part of uh, Ross when he reports that the family are well after they've just been slaughtered 
and children. he knows it. Well, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> dead. Ah, fucking got you, son. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, um, yeah, my condolences. Tragi- tragically slaughtered, mm. one and all. Yeah. All of them? I have said. Yeah, I know this play quite well. Um, <laughs> How many versions of Macbeth have you seen now, Paul? Um, well, on the other podcast, the Scottish film, we did manage to get through 21. 21. Not all of them used the Shakespearean language, though. Some of them were mm. like a crazy Chicago Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> my children, too. <laughs> this gets five stars because it's it's in my top five favorite films yeah. of the of 2021. Yeah, it I thought it was amazing. very cool. I enjoyed yeah. it. I think I'm out. Wow. Wowzers. I apologize. I haven't been able to offer a review of The Kingsman. The Kingsman, um, yeah. Or Don't Look Up. I will. Oh get yes, around. the Netflix one. The, the Netflix are fun. Uh, yes. I can tell you that my parents really enjoyed it. Okay. They thought it was clever and a lot of fun. Well, there you go. There's a, how many stars did they give it? I don't know. Uh, probably uh, four. Probably my four. Mom, there my you mo- go. But I get the impression that my mum would give it four, and my dad maybe. I don't know. I can't tell. He has been less <gasps> enthusiastic, but that just might be my dad. Oh. You ask him how he feels about things, and he generally just says, "Yeah, it's all right." That and that usually means that. it's incredible. So uh, <laughs> yeah, transcendent. <laughs> Transcend. No, <laughs> we once made a scale of how he would rate things. It would be that's okay, that's nice, that's all right. That and if you got that's all right. That that's like five out of five, oh, ten shit. out of ten. You know, uh. that's the top score you're possibly getting. So. You know, we took him to see the Terracotta Army in China. An incredible experience. Just actually surprisingly moving to see all these warriors there. And I'm pretty certain we got a that's all right that. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Well worth the effort. Have you yeah. ever gotten a that's, uh, she's all right that? No, I'm <laughs> that's okay at best. Oh, okay. <laughs> One day. <laughs> One day. I inspired her. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Well, I think I'm out of films to tell you Okay, about. great. Do you need me to tell you about some films? <laughs> yes. Anything anything you can, please. Uh, I watched uh, a film from 2018 called Private Life. Private Life? With uh, Paul oh. Giamatian. Is that his name? Is that him? Yes. I don't think I saw this. Uh, and the woman who plays the campaign manager in Parks and Rec. I always want to call it, she's called Jennifer in the show, but that's not her real name. Private Life. Tamara Jenkins directs uh, Catherine Hahn. Mm-hmm. Ah, how was that? Really good. Okay. Really funny. <laughs> uh moving a lot of fun i thought it was very entertaining i'd recommend that great film uh, we, we were looking through a Sounds list of like, like sundance film nominations or winners or whatever and oh okay just seeing what there was on netflix but yeah would recommend that uh what else have i watched recently i would also recommend watching the 1961 version of west side story yep it's very good that. and beautiful um <laughs> what else have i watched that was good oh i watched chitty chitty bang bang that's fun hey there <laughs> It's hey, a big movie. There, chitty chitty bang bang. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Um, <laughs> and oh, I rewatched June. Oh, good stuff. How's yeah. June holding up? Oh, it's great. Yay. I was just saying yeah. how for a film that's over two and a half hours long, yeah, um, it just goes by a clip. It is so engaging, yeah. and I rarely rewatch mm. stuff. And having seen that just a couple of months ago, and then seeing it again now, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be a bit slower this second time around. Nope. <laughs> Amazing, nope. great, so fast, it, so good, so engaging. I saw it five times in yeah. its initial cinematic mm-hmm. release, and two of them were consecutive days, and <laughs> I had no complaints whatsoever. No. It just it's such every a good time film. It was something new, mm. yeah, um, yeah, really enjoyable. Extraordinary. Yeah, like beautiful, Classic. great sound design. You know, yeah, top film, top film. <laughs> top I think film. What you're going to get? From I wonder. Us. I do wonder what your top film of 2021 is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be mm. ta but after that, it's definitely going to be June. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's a clear winner for the year. Definitely. If you love a big sci-fi epic about a great story. Oh, come on. If you just love big cinema, yeah. you know, writ large, yeah. then it's just, it's the only yeah. way to go. It's pure yeah. expression and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Okay, shall yeah. we sign off? Also read the book. The book's good. Yeah, we should book's sign good. off. Um, well, thanks for listening and go check out some films. There's some good ones in that list. Go check out all the films. Thanks for watching them, Paul. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And I hope that I've inspired some of you to go see some of these films, especially Licorice Pizza, because it's amazing. Yep. (laughs) Maybe we should do like a film of the week style thing. 
if you're only going to see one of these yeah films. if you're only going to see one which so um i last time i said which ones i would watch and which ones i wouldn't oh yeah um, and so i would i'm probably not going to bother watching uh, seeing matrix revolutions unless you drag me to see it i might ro- <laughs> or, I'll probably or resurrections either one all resurrections yeah no <laughs> um fair uh maybe i don't know it's a lot of money to see a film that i know is going to be average at best yeah. Uh, I would watch Licorice Pizza. That sounds Yay. fun and charming. <laughs> uh, I've already forgotten the rest of them. West Side, West Side Story, Story, probably, again, not going to bother because I'm too much of a fan of the original you and I'm not really yeah. sure what I... I'd maybe watch some of the clip. I might, I'll might. i watch it. Yeah, watch, watch, watch some of the numbers. That's exactly yeah, what Yeah, I do. think that's yeah. it. No, fuck off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you've seen the other two, so you're all I've right. seen the other two, that's true. <laughs> and I would highly recommend catching Lost Daughter on Netflix... And Macbeth, if you're feeling a bit cultured. (laughs) And also you're on a striking film. So that's a relaxing watch, I guess. But then neither neither's a a Lost Daughter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a way to cool down after Lost Daughter. Yeah. Yeah, intense. (laughs) You've been listening to Jen and the Film Critic, a podcast from Screen Mayhem. I have been your host. I've been your host. I've been your host. I've been your host, Jen Blundell. And your film critic was Paul Salt. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell. If you want to get in touch, you can email (laughs) us at filmcriticpodcast, that's all one word, at gmail.com, or you can message us on social media at Screen Mayhem. For more film content, um, including Paul's written reviews, you can Mm. go to screenmayhem.com. And if you'd like to leave us a review on um, iTunes or just the internet in general, or um, shout it into the sky. Um, that would also be great. Um, yeah. So then more people can find us and listen to my opinions. And I'd like that. <laughs> that would be Give good. Me, I'm, I'm really hoping to get a, yeah, that's nice from my dad. So um, please, <laughs> if I could just get a few five-star reviews, that might encourage him. <laughs> it might just create an environment in which he will be tricked into yeah. thinking you're good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give me a, that's all right, review. I'm... And I'm Jem Blundell. Goodbye. <laughs>